Hello everyone, welcome back to Exploitation in the End Zone. My name is Michael, and this is episode 1 of a two-part episode on strikes and lockouts in sports, and the outcomes of those strikes. I will be covering the 1994-1995 MLB strike, and the 1998-99 NBA lockout in this part, and the 2004-2005 NHL lockout, and the 2011 NFL lockout in part 2. The 1994-95 MLB strike was the 8th and longest strike in the history of the MLB, and was the 4th one in 22 years. As a result of the 1994 Major League Baseball strike, 948 games were cancelled in all, and the MLB became the first ever major American professional sports league to lose its entirety of the postseason to labor struggles. Due to this strike, both the 1994 and 1995 seasons were not played to complete 162 games. The strike began after most teams had played at least 113 games in 1994. Each team played a total of 144 games in 1995. This was the first time a professional sports league lost the entirety of its postseason to a labor dispute. The strike was in response to a worsening financial situation in baseball, as the fans were not coming to the games, and baseball just was not as popular as other major sports in the U.S., such as football or basketball. The owners of Major League Baseball teams collectively proposed a salary cap to their players in order to keep more money to run the teams. Ownership claimed that small market clubs would fall by the wayside unless the teams agreed to share local broadcasting revenues and increase equity among the teams and enact a salary cap. The players opposed this very strongly. As negotiations continued to heat up, the owners decided to withhold the $7.8 million that they were required to pay per the previous agreement into the players' pension and benefit plans. On July 28th, the Players Association Executive Board set August the 12th, 1994 as the day of the strike. When that day came, the players went ahead with their threat to walk off the job. The final games of the season were played on August 11th, 1994. Despite negotiations picking back up on August 31st, this time including federal mediators in the company, nothing changed. The Major League Baseball Players Association presented a counterproposal on September the 8th, which would tax the 16 franchises with highest payrolls, distribute the rest, and included gate receipts sharing for all teams, but the owners refused. A few days later, on September the 14th, Afghan Commissioner Bud Selig cancelled the remainder of the season. There would be no more games, no postseason, and most importantly, no World Series for the first time since 1904. This meant a loss of 580 million US dollars in ownership revenue and 380 million dollars in player salaries. This also coincides with the start of the decline and eventual relocation of the Montreal Expos as they were considered to be contenders for that year's World Series. Despite the 94 season officially being called off in September, the start of the 1995 season was in jeopardy once January rolled around. Baseball's executive council even went as far as approving replacement players so the season would begin without a hitch. Still at odds with one another, at the end of March, the league announced that the season would be shortened to 144 games, down from the usual 162. The strike ended April 2nd, 1995 just one day before the replacement players were scheduled to begin the season. After the strike ended, less and less fans were showing up, and the fans that did show up to the games were voicing their displeasure with the entire situation, 
and many were being kicked out of stadiums as they were throwing $1 bills on the field, accusing the players and the franchises of being very greedy. The MLB nearly didn't recover from the strike due to the small amount of people that watched the games. The major thing that brought baseball back into the forefront of the media was the 1998 home run record chase between Mark McGuire of the St. Louis Cardinals and Sammy Sosa of the Chicago Cubs, when the two of them were hitting so many home runs that season that they broke the single-season record for home runs of 61. The MLB did not have another lockout until this past season, which was just slightly delayed when the players started training camp. Now on to the 1998-1999 NBA lockout. This lockout was the third of four lockouts in the NBA's history, and the previous two were in 1995 and 1996, so it's fair to say that the relationship between the league and the players wasn't exactly very good. The main issue of the lockout was that of player salaries. I'm starting to notice a bit of a trend here. The NBA had a salary cap since 1983, but it had so many ways to circumvent it that it was barely there. The team owners wanted to remove these loopholes, but the players did not want to give up the potential for more money. The owners also wanted to prevent large contracts for young players, similar to the $126 million six-year deal that Kevin Garnett had just signed with the Minnesota Timberwolves. The owners desired a modified pay scale for rookie players and wanted to ban the use of marijuana and performance-enhancing drugs. The players wanted to keep their salaries the way that they were, as well as increasing the minimum salary a player could get. Negotiations between the sides broke down on June 22nd, and the lockdown started just nine days later. Teams were not allowed to make any player trades or any other transactions to do with players. The players were not allowed to use their team gyms to work out or practice at all. And the players were also not selected to represent the United States national basketball team at the 1998 FIBA World Championships if they were eligible for that team. On August the 6th, Negotiations restarted, however they ended immediately when the players brought up an offer that included increased revenue sharing between the teams. Hundreds of games were cancelled, including that year's Christmas Day games which had been played on an annual basis since 1947. On December 23rd, then-NBA Commissioner David Stern announced that he would likely cancel the season if no agreement was reached by January 7th, 1999. As that deadline approached, division in the Players Association was forming, as some players were less affected than others, and there was a vote in the Players Association scheduled for January 6th, one day before the deadline. This vote never happened, however, as the union was too divided, and the league and the players came out to an agreement on the 6th of January. Much like the aftermath of the MLB's lockout, fans believed that it was mostly to do with greed. Less people were watching the games both at arenas and on TV. But now the NBA is thriving and there's no reported bitterness between the two sides. Thank you for listening to part one of this episode of Exploitation of the End Zone today, and watch out for part two coming soon. Goodbye.